I'm Nathaniel Masters, and this is the Athanasian Forum Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Athanasian Forum Podcast. I know it's been a while. I was kind of taking some time. I've been trying to kind of think um, what kind of content I want to do, because I don't feel like I've been very focused. Uh, And so I want to try to focus a little more just talking about different things I'm reading, um, maybe write some stuff again, uh, kind of debating about that, but I'm definitely going to probably keep up with some of these videos and whatnot. But, um, the reason I decided I had this idea come to me and I was like, okay, I need to get back in the groove doing some stuff. Cause I do like producing content. Um, for me, it's somewhat therapeutic, I guess you could say, but you know, it's just fun to, to, to put this together. It's, it, it gives you a project, especially, you know, some people just, you know, it's just fun to have a project. And for me, this is it. And, you know, I would love to continue to, I like to put some effort and work into this and see it grow maybe. But at the end of the day, I'm doing it because I want to do it. And that's, that's what matters. I'm doing it for fun. Um, I, I, I'm a, I don't want to call myself an autodidact, but, uh, I do love to learn and, and this is a, always a pleasant way to, uh, pre- pleasant way to learn. So, um, so today's episode specifically, I'm, uh, doing because today is December the 6th. Now, I'm sure most of my audience doesn't know what today is because, well, because uh, the Protestant Reformation doesn't like uh, the saints very much, and so they said, let's get rid of them. Well, it's not exactly the attitude they had. They just didn't like it. They thought veneration and worship were the same thing, which is they're not. But that's another story, another discussion. So um, in the Reformation, a, a lot of saints... Um, the lives of the saints, those kinds of things kind of got done away with, um, for good or bad. That's kind of where it's at now. Um, but today is the feast of St. Nicholas Amira. And so I decided I'm going to make a video, uh, specifically discussing, uh, where, where, uh, where he, who he is and kind of what he means. Uh, you know, it, it's going to, I'm going to dive into it because most people don't know about St. Nicholas Amira. Um, you know, a fourth century saint. So we're going to talk about who that is, but I want to talk about, uh, start first with the modern, the modern mythical figure of Santa Claus. You know, you better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why he's making a list and he's checking it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty or nice. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. Because Santa Claus is coming into town. <laughs> and that's that's the fun little uh, the little saying. And those are the things that we think about Santa Claus. He's that mythical figure in some ways. Another, another good song uh, is, You know Dasher and Dancer and Prancer and Vixen, Comet and Cupid and Donner and Blitzen. But do you recall the most famous reindeer of all? Of course, we're talking about Rudolph there, uh, a song that became popular uh, by Gene. It was it wasn't written by Gene Autry. It was I think it was a poem or a movie first, something like that, and then he popularized it in his song. Uh, and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer is kind of went down in history. <laughs> uh, but you know, so we have so what we have at Santa Claus is is uh, first off the mythical figure is somebody that comes on Christmas Eve, leaves presents to all the children in the world if they've been good. Um, if they've been bad, they don't get it. Uh, so he is an interesting figure here in America. He's, he's very much popularized. He's 
uh, a big, large, fat man. I mean, just imagine if you guys know what I look like. I'm a, I'm pretty overweight and obese technically. So, uh, you know, no hiding that fact. That's just what it is. But, uh, you know, just imagine me, except I'm old. I have a long white beard and white hair, and I'm in a red suit. So that's kind of that's kind of what it is. No, I'm just kidding. I I don't think I look anything like Santa Claus. Uh, but no, he he's got this ethos around him. He's got these mystical powers and stuff. He sees he sees when you're awake and when you're asleep. He knows if you've been bad or good. He he, he kind of almost uh, omniscient, so to speak, powers and and that's really interesting, um, so to speak. But we also have. Uh, you know, he's got other things, you know, he's got all these different things. He's, he's such a facet, the modern Santa Claus, it, it, he is a truly mythical figure. I mean, it, it's Santa Claus, you know, you tell your kids about him, host, you better be good. Santa, Santa's going to come visit you. And if, you, if you're bad, you get a lump of coal, you know? So we all know this, uh, modern mythos and it's, it's really interesting to, to dig into the history of where Santa comes from because, uh, over time things have changed and definitely the Protestant Reformation had a big, uh, impact and how his image changed, uh, and how Santa Claus came to be today. Um, but it's interesting. It was actually almost in some sense, a failure of Protestants to get, uh, to get rid of the saints. Um, that really made, um, kept him around in some sense, cause he was such a popular saint. St. Nicholas Amira was, who is the basis of the modern Santa Claus. And, it's it's miraculous, uh, almost in some sense, because he was so popular that you couldn't even get rid of him. He's after uh, the most holy lady, mother of God, uh, Mary. She and probably John the Baptist. He's probably the most popular saint uh, in the world uh, in the Christian church in the Christian uh, religion. Um, so it's interesting. He, he kind of develops, you know, one of the first poems that really gives the modern mythos of Santa Claus himself is actually titled a visit from St. Nicholas, um, which is written by Clement Clark Moore in uh, the early 1800s, I believe. And it's more popularly known by "Twas the night before Christmas. And it says "Twas the night before Christmas when all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. And the stockings were hung by the chimney with care in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. The children were nestled, all snug in their beds, while vision of sugar plums danced in their heads. And I'll stop there, but that's that's kind of the first few lines of the poem, kind of gives you the idea. I, I think we're all familiar to some degree with that. Um, this is what first introduced the reindeer and their names. Um, you know, it talks about his, his uh, white beard, his white hair and everything. Um, it talks about his bowl full of jelly. Uh, his stomach has a bowl full of jelly. Um, so, you know, these these images that were more popular, this is the first really almost modern view um, of Santa Claus. And I, I believe um, it was, what was it? It was, there was, at one point, he had, that was kind of the mythos of, you know, him visiting on Christmas Eve, leaving presents for the kids, then bad or good, the reindeer. That That's the first um, real view of that. Uh, that that idea of popping up, but he didn't get the red suit until I want to say the late 18th century. Um, uh, yes, it was uh, Thomas Nast uh, drew uh, on Moore's poem to create the first likeness that really gives us our 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 idea, our image of Santa Claus today. Uh, so, and that was in 1881. It was for Harper's Weekly. So, you know, he was a rotund, cheerful man with a full white beard, holding a sack laden with toys for lucky children. So it's that kind of that kind of image that we get 
Um, it also says here, I'm, I'm taking this one from history.com. So, I mean, these are things you can look up yourself. This is just general information. Uh, I try to take from various sources. So this isn't the most scholarly research. Um, um, but I think some of it's based on scholarly research. So, um, you know, some of, I mean, some of it is not the Santa Claus stuff. I'm not, cause we all know about that. I'm not really too worried about that, but, uh, uh, so, uh, you know, and that's kind of also, uh, Nast also introduced, um, uh, Mrs. Claus, the elves, the North Pole workshop. Uh, so those kinds of things also come in with his depiction of Santa Claus. Uh, so that, that, that's, you know, we see basically the modern idea is really starting to develop at the beginning of the 19th century. So the 1800s, um, and then, you know, see it continue to develop into the late 1800s. Um, and another 20th century still developing, you know, again, Rudolph was, uh, didn't come around to the 19, right around 1949, I believe, um, or maybe the late thirties. I can't remember something like that. Um, and then, you know, the song came out in 1949, popularized it. So, uh, definitely very, uh, still always moving and shifting with our times. Um, any of you that are familiar with, uh, advertising, know he's, he's the Coke mascot really is, uh, or if you watch, uh, or uh, I like my favorite take of a modern. There's a couple, two, two modern takes of Santa Claus I really like. You know, obviously Tim Allen's Santa Claus, really, uh, really great depiction, really family friendly, fun. I like it. You know, it's nostalgic at this point. You know, it first came out in the 1990s, and about 10 years later they added a couple more films. They're still really fun, even if they're not really great. Like Nestor, the you know, uh, you know, fantastic like Oscar worthy movies or anything like that. But, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting to see, uh, the other one I, I really liked is actually the Christmas Chronicles and they just came out with another one this year. Uh, it's starring, uh, Kurt Russell, I believe. Is that right? I can't, I can't remember. I think he, he, he's, but he plays and he says in the first one, he, he says, they're like, Santa, man, you don't look like they just like, like that you do in the pictures and it pans to a, a picture of a, a Santa Claus in a billboard and says, yeah, they had 80 pounds and, and all the pictures, I'm not that fat. <laughs> uh, and he's kind of got this like almost leather suit and he's, it's a modern image and he's got this swagger about him and he's just really, uh, really well done. I think, um, really well played, uh, by the actor. I believe it is Kurt Russell. Uh, I could be wrong. Let me, I'll pull that up real quick, but it's just, uh, it's just, you know, the, these are fun little things. They're not like, uh, they're not supposed to be so, so formal uh and it's just very interesting let's see pulling this up but yeah i mean they're not supposed to be like these great a films but they're fun they're family friendly you know there's something you can show the whole family you all laugh and i was right is played by kurt russell and, and his wife mrs claus is played by um uh kurt russell's actual wife in real life i can't remember her name they're they're an older couple i'm sorry i i'm young i don't know old movie stars as well, unless they're really popular like Kurt Russell. So, um, <laughs> but his wife plays Mrs. Claus and it's just a really cute family flick. They came with the second one, which wasn't, it wasn't as good as the first. And, you know, most of the time the sequels never are, you know, especially when you make an entire sequel trilogy, but that's beside the point. Um, for, for all the star Wars na nerds out there. Uh, yeah, they'll, they'll appreciate my comment for the most part. <laughs> Um, so, so, you know, we have Santa Claus, we have this modern idea. He is a man that gives gifts on Christmas Eve. He's 
in some sense, a little bit of a judge of character. He, he looks at uh, whether you've been nice or nice. He's omniscient in a certain way. But he's, he's a kindly, you know, grandfatherly old man um, that is magic and travel the whole world in one night, delivering presents to everyone, every child in the world that, you know, has kind of quote unquote earned good, earned them uh, in some sense. Um, but usually, I mean, Santa Claus is obviously, um, well, if you have any kids in the room, you might ask them to leave now. I'll give you a couple seconds. Okay. If you, you could take the second to pause, but Santa, we all know Santa's not real in the sense of actually delivering the presents. You parents pay for those things and you hide them under the tree. Some, but some parents don't do that. I have one of my friends, he, he's just a, he's a new father and he says, we're not doing the Santa thing. It's, it's ridiculous, which, you know, it is what it is, but I, I think it adds something to, to childhood in the sense of, you know, it's, and especially if you're doing it right. I don't think Elf on the Shelf is the way you do it right. Um, but I think, you know, the Santa thing, it's, it's about, you know, benevolence. It's, it's, you know, there's so many different facets of it, but it's about a generous, you know, old man. It's almost, he's supposed to be almost like God in some sense, um, for some people. And, and I think that's true. I think that's why he's got this modern mythos. So, so great. He's this kind old man. And this is what really a lot of people in America really do think about God in some sense. He is Santa Claus is basically God, you know, he, uh, he makes a great comparison, and that's probably uh, he makes a great comparison to the moralistic therapeutic deism that a lot of people in America believe in. Um, and, and it wouldn't surprise me if this does develop in some degree out of our conception of Santa Claus, because we we teach children so much, uh, or we, we we give them the whole Santa Claus myth, but then we also uh, we we also um, you know we we also when younger okay maybe not our modern year not my modern year but for me growing up I went to church a lot on Christmas Eve although that kind of waned with the years it's not very popular to do Christmas Eve services some places anymore um, and probably not a lot happening this year either but uh, um, but you know you know people are raised in the church it was like oh you know you had Santa Claus and you also had the church story and you had the nativity uh, and so those are those are important parts of our church life I think but. You know, when those get those kind of get mixed and it comes easy, it becomes easy for kids to confuse some stuff sometimes. I think um, if it's not explained right. But then again, you know, most people eventually grow out of the Santa Claus. No, he's not real. So um, some people would say that we, when we're kids, we all buy into God, and then we don't. A lot of people don't grow up enough, and because you know, God's just a figment of our imagination. But whether you, whether we can't prove whether we can prove God or not, which I don't think we necessarily can, I don't think we should, because at the end of the day, I I don't think you can get around the I don't think you can just prove I don't think that's the point of of God at all. I mean, that, that sounds bad, but I think God's a person to know. Um, but uh, there's 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 a lot of bundle of that, and I I'm gonna avoid that rabbit hole. But I think you know. I think I, I'm a personal believer that myths and stories are a great way to help our kids understand real principles. And in some ways, uh, we have to be careful not to let, you know, Santa Claus, this myth that we've, this modern myth that we compared, um, uh, not let him become our understanding of God, which I don't think, I don't know if that, that's not anything I necessarily think is happening per se with kids, but, you know, it, it, it is an interesting comparison. And when you really think about, uh, when you really think about it, that, 
God, that G- Santa Claus in some sense <laughs> is kind of our moralistic therapeutic days. I mean, he gives us what we want as long as we know we're generally good, we do the right things, you know, and he's going to give us what we need. He's going to take care of us, make sure we have money and have all these things. And he wants what's best for us, kind of, you know, but there's no real moral, there's no real requirement of sacrifice on our part, of course, other than just try to do good stuff and be a good person, which is always ill defined. What does it mean to be a good person? And, uh, and so it's it's interesting to compare those two, but I, I'll leave it there on that front just because it's interesting. Now, so we, we've talked about Santa Claus in the modern myth. I mean, we all know the modern Santa Claus, so I don't want to spend uh, more time on that. But I do, um, I do want to dig in to where he, he's derived from. Now, uh, I will say the myth of Santa Claus actually first originates. Um, well, we'll go back to the Protestant. Let, let me go. I want to dig into the actual roots and show how it develops and how we get to the where does Santa Claus come from because he does actually develop from the tradition of St. Nicholas of Myra. And to understand that, uh, let's talk about St. Nicholas. Now, he's a, the only thing we really know about St. Nicholas for, uh, for basically the only thing we can verify is fact um, through DNA testing, actually, <laughs> uh, surprisingly. I, it wasn't DNA testing. It was, it was age testing of uh, one of the, his relics. Um, St. Nicholas's relics was that he is basically a bishop from the fourth century. That's about all we can absolutely hundred percent verify. Um, but I think that, I don't think that's the point of a person like St. Nicholas. Um, just like, I don't think, uh, these other mythic figures, whether that's, um, whether it's people like Odin and, and Thor and the Norse tradition, or, you know, obviously in the biblical tradition, you have people like, you know, Moses or Samson, uh, or David, uh, these are in some sense mythic figures, just like or Adam and Eve, you know, Cain and Abel. The, these are in some sense mythic figures, but Christians believe they're real, and I believe they're real too. Um, but that's not the point of somebody like St. Nicholas, and that's the thing I'm trying to say is he's got a lot of mythos around him that is both spiritual, that has grown out of him, um, and today we have very different than what was originally was. But St. Nicholas of Myra, we know he's a 4th century bishop um, from Lycia um, in, in the city of uh, Myra. Um, now there's a lot of different stories. I want to kind of get, I want to leave the the telling of his life um, as we, it has been passed down uh, for the later on. But for right now, I want to talk about uh, w- what we do know. Um, and I'm taking this from the uh, the Catholic Encyclopedia um, this entry right here, um, just because I'm, I'm, I try to use a variety of sources, uh, so Catholic, and I have an, the Orthodox um, source I'm going to use is from later. Um, I also have Britannica pulled up too. So, I mean, like I said, these are sources you can find on the internet. It doesn't take a lot of time to, to really search these. Um, but I, I thought it'd be interesting for us to sit down and talk about it. And I think some people just don't, you know, some people just don't take time to read this stuff. And it's because it's not that, for some, them it's not that important. And that's okay. I'll be the nerd and do the research for you. Or at least the five minutes of research if you're really lazy and don't want to <laughs> look it up online. I mean, it doesn't take a lot of work to Google. But, uh, um, so basically he was the Bishop of uh, Myra and Lycia. He, and he supposedly had died, uh, St. Nicholas supposedly died on the 6th of December in either 345 A.D. or 352 A.D. Uh, again, you know, we're not 100% certain, but we do uh, when he lived and when he died. Um, he's He really is probably practically the most popular saint outside of uh, the Most Holy Theotokos Mary 
and um, and, and John the Baptist, and of course Jesus Christ, um, and the apostles too. But he he's he's uh, incredibly popular, not just in our, uh, the modern era, but uh, throughout history. Uh, you know, he is. I think uh, the source here talks about how Ju- uh, Justinian in the sixth century uh, had erected a cathedral over. Uh, in Constantinople in his name. Uh, and he, he was already a popular pilgrimage shrine by that time, too. I mean, so this is just a couple, you know, uh, up to 200, 250 years after his death. He's already a major, very popular saint. Um, they're, they're already building churches, uh, naming them after him as their patron saint. And so he's very popular time. He continued to be popular into the Middle Ages, both in the East and the West. I mean, so... There is a lot of legends surrounding what he did, but I think the general points of what we know of, um, well, basically what we, we, the general history and the general, uh, story about who he is, is he was probably, they think he was probably born in Patara, um, a, a city of Lycia in Asia Minor. And in, in his youth, he made a pilgrimage at some point to the Egypt and Palestine, the Holy Land. Um, and, uh, while, you know, after he returned, he became the Bishop of Meyer at some point. Um, and he was actually, and this is an important part, he was cast into prison actually during the Diocletian persecution. Now, this persecution was probably the harshest persecution of Christians um, under the Roman rule. Uh, and it was a lot, but it was also the last persecution of Christians, too. I mean, it was, it was incredibly harsh and brutal. Um, it lasted for several years, and it was empire-wide. Uh, before, before this persecution there was rarely empire-wide persecution of christians it was usually um it was usually only um it was usually only like local persecution so you have some some areas or some provinces um it it wasn't usually uh throughout the entire empire but um you know the diocletian persecution was and it, it was very brutal and there was there was those there was a lot of christians that you know ended up not ended up falling into um, they would they would end up making the sacrifices or at least you know underhandedly you know bribe somebody to give them a paper saying that they had offered sacrifices. Um, it was actually uh, an issue in the early church of well how do we let these people come back into the faith or are or you know or are they basically done for they can't because they rejected Christ and so um, basically they I think what it was is they basically had to do very they had to do a lot of penance. Um, in some ways, uh, and, and very harsh, but because it was, it was a real question. It's like, well, I think it's fair because, you know, the Bible does say, you know, I can't, I, I can't, I know what I'm thinking of, but I can't think of what it said, how exactly it worded, but it's basically, you know, before, you know, if you recognize me before, you know, the father or before men, I'll recognize, recognize you before my father or, you know, so that's kind of the general, just not, that's definitely not the right quotation at all, but that's the general idea of what it was. I, brain farting on that <laughs> a little bit but um and so this this persecution was really bad there was a big debate um and eventually it was resolved and so whatnot um but so saint nicholas uh went through this he was in prison during this time as the journal story goes um but after the persecution was over after after constantine came to power um he, he was freed and uh most most uh store most uh this lot the story it's told about him the the legend or his life whatever you want to call it um has him attending the first ecumenical council in 325 at nicaea uh one um and many of the accounts also say while he was there he may have slapped and or punched 
Arius, uh, a heretic. Um, so that's always interesting uh, to see. Um, so, and then, then they also, there's part of the legend goes that basically they're like, oh, you can't be a bishop anymore because of this. But then a vision, um, a vision from uh, Jesus and, and Mary, uh, the mother of God, uh, appeared and said, no, this is, this was okay. They basically allowed him to become, stay a bishop after this. But uh, that's, that's part of the more wider legend. Um, that he slapped Arius. Um, so that's basically what we know about his life. And then after this, he, he was, uh, very, he was very, he was known to be very generous, uh, lived a life of a true saint in his own life, recognized, uh, which is, is an important thing. If you recognize a saint when you're still alive, you must be doing something, um, pretty good, or at least look like you're doing something pretty good. Um, uh, so, uh, yeah. Um, but, uh, after that, and you know, the council and I see that, uh, the only other thing, and then he, you know, passes away and it said, I think it was like, it was a 340, yeah, 345 or 352. So, um, so that's kind of what we know about his life. Um, the only other thing that we do know for pretty much a fact about St. Nicholas of Meyer, other than that he's a bishop that we can guarantee was that, uh, in 1087. And then I, I find it interesting, uh, that, uh, the Italians, uh, that the Catholic site here actually says in 1087 Italian merchants stole his body uh, at Myra and bringing it to Barry in Italy. So he's actually sometimes called St. Nicholas of Barry because that's where uh, his relics re uh, reside now. Um, his main body resides now, which uh, is actually famous for uh, having myrrh that comes off his body, apparently, that has healing powers. Very, very interesting stuff. Um, but that's the only thing that we know is that his, he was, his relics were transferred from Myra um, to bury in, uh, in Italy because the Saracens, I believe had taken over that part of Asia minor. Um, it was no longer a part of the, uh, the Greek world at that time, um, under the, I guess it would be the Roman empire, uh, technically, uh, if you're, if you're, they're the Byzantine empire, I guess it depends on who you ask. Some people call it the Byzantines. The Byzantines probably would consider themselves Roman until the day the, the Roman empire was dead. So, <laughs> Uh, that's, that's a, the Byzantine is actually a modern conjecture, um, really overlaid onto it. But, uh, at least to my knowledge, I could be wrong on that. So that, that that's kind of what we do know about him. He was a bishop in the fourth century. He, he was generally born in Asia Minor in Patara in Lycia in which he, you know, presiding over as bishop. He, he made a trek to the Holy Land at some point, uh, and felt that God told him to go back and be a bishop instead of becoming a monk. Um, he was persecuted under the Diocletian, um, being released. Uh, so in, these are general, uh, pretty, uh, the bare bones of the story. And I, and I think to some degree, these are probably, most of these in it, uh, are probably fairly decent. I think it's pretty, well, it's pretty plausible. He was persecuted under Diocletian. It's, it's plausible. He was uh, born in, uh, you know, Lycia in Asia Minor, even in Patara. I mean, I don't think those are necessarily something we should really conjecture from um, tr the tradition just because we don't really have anything else. But at the same time, it's, it's fairly plausible. I mean, most people didn't travel that much, so him becoming bishop in, in an area in which he grew up in really isn't that far-fetched. So I think that's pretty plausible. I don't think that's anything to really conjecture, say it's completely fake. Um, and, and it's just not verifiable in some sense to a degree. Uh, we we do not know whether he actually attended the Council of Nicaea. The the roles of the bishops named he's not his name does not appear there. Um, but and again, I think the important thing about that is is, and I'll get into this later is what that represents because that's what I want to talk about uh, going forward. Is you know 
what he ended up representing. Because what happens is after he dies, I mean, he's being recognized as a saint. They they have they build a, a church uh, in Constantinople. Justinian does a uh, very famous emperor. The codes of Justinian very famous. Um, and, and they build a church more, you know, just about 200, 250 years after, after he's died. So I, I think his, his life, whatever you say, we don't know, we may not know the exact details, but we do know, um, as a matter of just his impact in the world and what he represented, he obviously did some, something that really resonated with people, not just in his area, but across, across the Roman empire. And that's something, uh, to be noted, um, really, because when you look at it, he's really well uh, received. Um, because I know, uh, I mean, in Russia, he's he's very well loved. In Russia, he's well loved. In Italy, in Germany, uh, in in the Denmark, I believe is it Denmark? Um, uh, let's see. I know in Germany. Um, let's see. Yes, here here's under the Catholic site it says, the following places honor him as as patron. Greece, Russia, the Kingdom of Naples, Sicily, Lorraine, the Diocese of Legge. I, I don't don't know how to pronounce that. I'm not I'm not cultured. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, many cities in Italy, Germany, Austria, and Belgium. Campen in the Netherlands. Uh, Corfu in Greece. Freiburg in Switzerland and Moscow in Russia. Um, I mean he's very outside. He's also known as a patron. Uh, mariners, merchants, bakers, travelers, children, etc. He's very, very popular. And that's why when I talked about the Protestant Reformation, getting rid of icons and stuff, he still remained popular. He was so popular they couldn't, the Protestant Reformation and their destruction of anything having to do with Catholicism um, was actually unsuccessful and actually rooting him out because he was so popular and so ingrained uh, in the culture. I mean, and that's, that's where I want to get at is he... As time went on, he 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 gets ingrained in local areas and in local legends, and so that's kind of what we see happening in places like Germany, or the Netherlands, where he becomes this gift giver. He kind of gets mixed with some Norse ideas of giving gifts and you know good or bad, and sometimes you. Uh, so it, it's very interesting, and so that's where that comes from. And so what happens? How he gets to America and becomes popular in America is actually through uh, the Netherlands. Um, is the the Dutch basically they had at one point the Dutch. Actually, the Dutch were the ones that founded New York. Uh, when they found it, it was called New Amsterdam. Eventually, the English took over. And so, uh, once that happened, he became renamed New York. But, you know, still a lot of Dutch citizens. And he was very popular uh, in, in the Netherlands. And so, they could never really root out uh, St. Nicholas. Uh, and in, in the Netherlands, he was called Sinterklaas. Um, was one is one variation. That's what got brought to the United States. And in America, it got kind of, you know, revised. Language usually happens. Uh, instead of Santa Claus, it is Santa Claus. So um, that's that's how we get him in America. That's his first rival, and he begins to become very popular uh, and, and celebrated. Uh, and even to the fact that you know, for generations, apparently it was tradition that uh, gift giving was given on his feast day, December sixth. So, uh, and the one one source I read was that he actually that the giving of gifts was actually what was associated with his holiday, uh, his feast day. Uh, December 6th, and that during the Reformation, you had uh, Martin Luther, some say Martin Luther, some other, sometimes Wingley or other reformers. Uh, Hewart Weller wasn't as important, but he actually would say, well, you know, we don't want we don't want to venerate the saints. So they took the idea of gift giving and applied it to Christmas, um, is the general view of that. And, uh, and so uh, 
and so that's that's interesting that got moved. It was originally Saint Nick's. It was given, and we'll get into why that is because Saint Nicholas had uh, has has some stories, and so and that's that's where I want to get in. So he's his tradition is carried on uh, consistently um, through throughout the centuries, and it's very interesting. Um, I'm actually going to read. Let me see. Let me find. Uh, yes. Uh, in, the, in the East, I'm pulling this off of the Orthodox Church in America. Their site, they have a Lives of the Saints. Um, and, and they call him St. Nicholas the Wonder Worker, Archbishop of Myra in Lycia. And uh, he's he, he's very well worked. Uh, again, he's called the Wonder Worker, meaning he did miracles, according to him. Um, they, they have some different things on here. I'm not going to get into some of this because it's not... It's important, but he he was uh, according to this life, uh, this writing about him. He was very gifted in his youth, um, and it was actually his uncle that was the bishop of Lycia before him. And that's kind of how he got it, um, I think, or something like that. Um, and it was actually so. This talks about this life. Actually, talks about when he goes down to the Holy Land. He he gets there. And he actually wants to take up the monastic life, the monastic life, and. Uh, and so he, he wants to live a holy life, but while he's there, he gets a vision from God and saying, hey, go back, serve the people there, and, and people will be saved through through your work there. People will be saved in the name of Jesus Christ. Um, so he goes back, of course. Um, um, so yeah. So he returns to his native country. It says, um, oh yeah, here's, here's a, the quote. It says, uh, Nicholas, this is not the vineyard where you shall bear fruit for me. Return to the world and glorify my name there. Um, oh, that was after that was leaving Patara and going to Myra. Um, so, uh, and talks about his miraculous, almost his miraculous uh, becoming how he becomes a successor. Uh, his his miraculous kind of. Thing where it basically said the that the the electors had basically come together and then they one of them receives a vision. Well, this guy's going to show up. His name's going to be Nicholas, and it's going to be the next person who shows up. And so it happened. Nicholas showed up and says, "I'm your servant," and that's kind of what happened. Um, but he he's he's very ascetic, and you know, fasting and and all the and praying and all these uh, things are normally associated with saints. Um, as you read the lives of the saints. Often, if you do, I would actually highly encourage it. Whether you're Protestant or, or Catholic or Orthodox, or you you should, um, they're spiritual heroes. They're people to look up to um, to follow in their paths um, because they they're called saints because they did stuff and it was dedicated to glory of God and Jesus Christ. So I think it's important that we follow their their paths too because they they represent what and show teach us what it means to live a Christian life. Um, and that's what I that and that's what I want to get at is uh, some of the legends um, about. Saint Nick are important not because they're necessarily quote unquote true, they're historically accurate, but because uh, what they represent, what they teach us about how to be a Christian life, and that's that's what uh, the giving of gifts is about here. Um, uh, because what it is is um, he um, he uh, I'm trying to think. Oh yes, the story basically goes is there he heard about a man that had three daughters. And this is this is the story goes. And this is where the story gift giving comes from is three daughters and he, he was too poor, he couldn't afford the dowry. 
um, to to send him. So on three on the three successive nights, he would sneak by and, and throw a small bag of money in the window, so the man could have his mar- daughters married off. Because if they didn't get, if he didn't, you know, wasn't able to come up with the dowry, he's gonna have to sell them into prostitution, and slavery, and, and of course that's a bad thing. So Saint Nicholas on three successive nights threw in a bag for each daughter and gave them money. And this is an example of his generosity. Um, they say he was he was well off um, with great Christian parents that you know were kind of wealthy, so he gave away his wealth during his lifetime. And that's kind of where we get the idea of the gift giving. That's where it builds on later on. Um, but another thing in here, and I was reading something from, um, it was an article uh, titled St. Nicholas and the Battle Against Idolatry. And it's uh, from 2016. And it's uh, it was written by Father Andrew Stephen Damick. Um, and he talks about how in the life of St. Nicholas, what we see is he talks, it actually talks about once he became bishop and after the Diocletian persecution, um, paganism was still very much alive and well in his area and, and across the Roman Empire still. It wasn't like it wasn't like Constantine did force conver- conversion for the most part. Definitely him converting himself and other things made it popular to some degree. So a lot more people were like, oh, I, you know, I'm not going to get killed or I'm not going to have all my land stolen if I become a Christian anymore. So they're like, oh, I, I can do this kind of thing. Um, but definitely, so it was easier for people to say, okay, I'll, I'll become a Christian. But it still wasn't necessarily popular um, a ton at, at first. Anyway, at this point in the early fourth century, it was still it was during a time of great shifting from paganism to Christianity, actually. And so, what uh, Father Andrew uh, pointed out in his article was that in his life, um, let me see if I can find it. Um, Uh, I'm trying to think. It talks about basically he goes around. He would go around. Uh, and Father, An- here let me see. Father Andrew has it. Uh, he talks about he he would go around. He would pray to different. Um, he would go. Uh, here he quotes from uh, a source. It says the saint recognized that these unhallowed precincts are the habitation of the demons who received homage from men who were deceived by the ancestral imposture. Uh, basically, it's saying he went around to the pagan temples, and and so and this is a historic Christian belief. Actually, is that the gods of Greece or the gods of the Romans or or other basically pagan gods? They were all basically demons that were posing as these quote unquote heroes or gods or whatever, and deceiving men. And so the demon these were places of demons. So what Saint Nicholas would do is he would go to these these pagan temples, he would pray in front of them, and they would they like collapse, and the demons would be cast out. And that's that's a very important part of. Uh, Christianity and sometimes the, especially like when you get into Germany and the Netherlands, um, when you see these myths of Saint Nicholas tied to people like Krampus or um, Belschnickel, um, is it's these people that are basically um, kind of like almost inverse and they're you know they're hitting kids and stuff like this. And it's basically these stories are, represent basically um, it's the old these like Belschnickel and, and Krampus they represent the demons that ha- used to have power. But then St. Nicholas came along, and he, he freed the people by, through his prayers to God and through the work of God. Uh, and by his prayers to God, uh, the demons were cast out and overcome. And so these stories often involve the fact that it's actually that Nicholas allows them freedom or something for a night or something like that. And so that's how they, they these demons kind of have power for like a night or something like that. That's kind of the stories. But the point of it is, is this aspect of St. Nicholas himself represents... 
the the power of God and and overturning and casting out the evil, um, and so that and that's the point is Saint Nicholas wasn't just somebody that was generous, but he was also somebody that cared um, and tried to bring the truth into the world by casting out the demons, by removing the the liars, the people, the demons that are deceiving us. Because I think that's um, when when God says love your enemies, or when Jesus ex- says love your enemies, too, it's not because it's because the in, in Christian ideas, it's the, there's this idea that our enemy is not other human beings. Human beings are just being oppressed, so they're not really our enemies. So why should we hate? We shouldn't hate our quote unquote enemies. When we think of other people as our enemies, they're not our actual enemies. Other people aren't our enemies, and that's that's a Christian idea. Our real enemy are are the demons. They're Satan. They're they're the devil, um, and so those are our real enemies. So when it says love your enemies, it's talking about loving other human beings because they're still humans. They're not the real enemy, um, and so that's that's the importance of Saint Nick. It was he loved humans, but he was casting out the demons. He was driving out uh, the evil of the land, and so that's that's another important facet of who Saint Nicholas is. Um. And so I think the the point of uh, Father Andrew's article was he talked about uh, Saint Nicholas and his work casting out demons and, and pagan um, stuff was that the battle, uh, as it was in Nicholas's time, the battle of uh, casting out the demons by overpowering them was is also still our mission is to still continue to cast out the demons in our world. They're still working to deceive us, um, and they don't have as much power because Christianity became the dominant religion and it really took over. and And so that's 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 an important thing to think of is you know a lot of people sometimes in some areas just haven't had that problem because guess what Christians have blessed the land they've they've cast out the demons they've they take Christ has literally. Through the power of Christ working through humans has has cast out um, has cast out the evil of this world has cast out those demons and so they don't have that power as much anymore. But as society becomes more pagan again, as we you know reject God and we start being open to other spiritual experiences um, through like Ouija boards stuff like that, demons are going to continue to gain more power. Um, and so that's why it's so important as Christians that we honor ourselves and we 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 kind of guard ourselves to some degree about what. Uh, what we allow when it comes to spiritual practices and understanding what's what spiritual, um, what what's okay and what's not. Like reading Harry Potter isn't very demonic, not really. Now you start messing with Ouija board or you're starting to mess with like blood sacrifices, you know. Well, then that's definitely, you know, where you're gonna start opening yourself up to bad demonic activity, and we need to be cautious on that stuff. Um, and so learning in that and being discerning about what, what's good and what's bad for us and, and reading what's good and what's bad. I mean, I think a great example for me of this is, um, it is that I, I've really tried to stay off the internet more and I've been much more, I'm doing a lot better. Um, and I'm trying to stay off. I'm not been doing so great the last week or so, but, uh, you know, I, I uh, I think trying to stuff the internet is good because, frankly, you're reading all this stuff and who knows how realistic it is. Maybe it's just all our fears and we're just getting the echo chamber effect and we're just hearing and seeing what we want to see. Uh, and sometimes it may the, what, what we're seeing online may be true, may be bad, but I think if we were to actually unplug from the internet and actually do the work of connecting with our, our friends and our family, our neighbors, we would overcome the problems that we're seeing on the internet. The internet's not a good thing. And so when you get on there, you see all the negativity, um, whether about politics or about whatever it is, it's, it's really important, um, uh, to, to what we put in our minds, what we're watching. I mean, 
Jesus says that that the the eye is a lamp to the body. Uh, that that's important. It's that it's kind of anything that comes in that comes through the eye. It's it's where we are visual creatures in a lot of ways, and that's an important thing. And so we need to be careful what we put in. Uh, when Jesus is tempted in the desert, he said the. the the devil says, oh, look at these raw, uh, he quotes scripture, basically say, well, you can turn, make these stones, uh, you know, um, and to, and to make them into bread to feed yourself. And Jesus says, um, because he says you can make stones out of son, sons of Abraham or something like that. I, I can't remember exactly what the quote is, but basically Jesus response and he quotes Deuteronomy he says, man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so that's that's an important aspect here is is our focus, uh, and I think this Christmas season, this this time of nativity and celebrating the birth of Christ, we need to be thinking about what we're putting into our bodies, uh, and and so we need to be following the example of Saint Nicholas of Myra. What are we putting in our bodies? Um, and this is what this is what I'm getting into. The the, the exact historical details aren't as important as a story as what we think they are sometimes i think sometimes the stories have meanings of their own they're important for us because they, they they're teaching us something that's very important to what it means to live a christian life so when when father andrew here is talking about his work casting out demons it's important that our as christians we have to be careful what we let in so we, we're not letting demons in for one but also two we're letting god transform us so that he can work through us to cast out the demons through our prayers he can cast out the demons um, I'm not necessarily trying to be super theologically accurate in my statements uh, tonight, and I, I'm I'm pretty general, so you know that may not be the most theologically accurate, but I do believe uh, God works through us um, when we when we choose to work with the will of God, He works through us. Uh, it's a very beautiful thing, um, but th- that's just the one aspect. I think the other aspect of the gift giving, the fact that you know Saint Nicholas is. is known for having given you know the dowries for those three girls that's very important um, there's another story about him uh trying to get help get some roman soldiers out of trouble for whatever reason they were falsely accused um and these stories like this and i think what that represents for us and, and is important for us is is generosity you know uh, according to this this story the, the life uh and the legend of him he was born to like a rich family and so uh for me i see that as okay Nicholas was very holy, very pious, and he was thankful to God that he was given much. And so, out of that gratefulness that he had for what God had given him, he he gave it away. Um, but also, he gave it away because he realized it wasn't that important. It wasn't the money wasn't what's important because it's just it's not going anywhere. It's not spiritually helpful. And and so this Christmas, I think, don't worry about the gifts you get. Get like don't worry how much they cost. Don't worry about uh, the money aspect of gifts. Get if you're giving something, give it at first because you're grateful that you already have something. But two, give give something that means has has meaning beyond what the cost of it is, because money just doesn't matter in this world. It's not that important. And so, whether if we have money, give it away because it's it's gonna we're gonna get lose it when we leave this life anyway. So, and that's that's the idea is for for what I'm life uh, and my readings and, and study of Saint Nicholas and his life uh, as I've come across is really. One of a person that has been was seeking God and was transformed by God, um, and through this transformation, he was able to become a, a, a per, an example of what it means to live the Christian life, as well as an example of what it means in this case to be a, a bishop, a, a leader. He was he was a servant to his people. He cared for them. He served them. I mean, by giving them money, by, by standing in their defense, and in so many different ways. And and the miracles that are attributed to him um, also back up his his claims of being a saint. 
um, uh, at least in the Orthodox and uh, Eastern Orthodox uh, and Catholic worlds, you know, miracles are kind of ver- help verify it, whether a saint's actually a saint or anything. Um, so th- that is somewhat important to them. Uh, if you're Protestant, you don't have to worry about the miracles so much, but it's about what he represents. It's the symbolism of Santa Claus and Saint Nick. Uh, that's what's important. And I think we need to be careful not to take the modern consumeristic view of Santa Claus, of, of just presence and whatnot. Um, we need to take what are gifts that are worth giving. And I, I hate to tell it to parents, but clothes aren't that important. <laughs> if you don't give your, don't give your kids clothes unless you, you want to buy. It. I mean, th- that's my opinion. Um, I understand that's not possible for some people, but gifts on you that you hear you're going to really appreciate. And when I say appreciate, I don't mean like just a toy or whatever. I mean, like get like a board game. If especially if you have multiple kids, get like a board game or something like that. Because what that because what that board game is, it's not just um, it's not just the one time gift. It's something that's going to keep on giving because that that represents time you spend with your family when you guys are all gathered around the board game playing uh, uh, together or or card game uh, things like that. Something that's gonna, a gift that keeps on giving. Something that's going to allow you to focus on the more important things in life. Your time with your family. Um, something that teaches lesson or helps them grow or become better people. Uh, those kinds of gifts that. Their value isn't in the money, but in in the meaning behind them. Uh, those are the things that I, I think we should all be thinking of. And, and I think on this St. Nick's Day, be thinking about him as somebody that represented um, somebody that, that loved God and that's, you know, that gave uh, his life to, over to God. And the work he did, whether it was historically accurate or not, it's not that important. What's important is uh, his example he lived and that we should follow his example. Um well, that's that's all I have for you today on this episode, and I hope I hope you guys have enjoyed uh, me my ramblings on uh, Saint Nicholas uh, <laughs> and Santa Claus and all that stuff. I, it's kind of gone all over the place, and that's kind of normal for me. But you know, I hope you guys enjoyed. I hope you guys learned something, and I, I hope you guys um, this Saint Nicholas Day, this this feast feast day, uh, celebrate not just the life of Saint Nicholas, but celebrate what Christ has done in Saint Nicholas. Uh, and that's, that's the important thing. It's not that Saint Nick himself is so good. It's, it's that Christ transformed Saint Nick, um, and made him somebody, uh, he, he, and, and, and Saint Nicholas allowed God to transform him too. And that's an important thing. And it was, it was only that it was Christ in Saint Nick that, uh, is what should be admired. Not so much Saint Nick himself, but Christ in Saint Nicholas, um, let him all, let him be an example to us all this Christmas season and this uh, as we go. And I, I hope uh, I promise to be putting out more content. I think I, I have more ideas of what I want to do going forward. So hopefully I'll have something out uh, probably later this month or something like that. Uh, I don't want to put out a ton, maybe two or three a month, two videos, two or three videos a month, maybe a couple articles. Um, so uh, we'll see. And I, I if you guys are still watching, I really appreciate it. Um, and I hope to see you guys soon. And have, y'all have a Merry Christmas. If you're Jewish, Happy Hanukkah. Um, I'm not sure of any other... Ho- I know there's other holidays. And if you celebrate those, I hope you have a happy holiday. So, have a good one. <laughs>